Hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the Firecracker Department. Here we are, another week, another fabulous Firecracker Department episode. And uh, do you hear that? Are you listening? Can you hear that? Okay, don't adjust your hearing devices. It's the rain, because I'm sitting in the car. It's six o'clock in the morning and I'm doing my intro because that's the kind of girl I am. I need to get this episode to you, and this is the only time I can do it. I'm on my way to set, and uh, it's the only time. But that's how dedicated I am to bringing these episodes to you. So, what are you doing this week? What are you working on? What are you creating? For those of you who are new to the Firecrack Department, welcome. And for those of you who have been around and listened to all the episodes, thank you so much. Big shout out to the folks that are leaving iTunes reviews and notes on Twitter and Instagram. That makes such a difference to me and my team. It makes us feel like we're on the right track and getting your feedback just makes makes our day. It just makes our day. So thank you so much to all those people. We are heading into the summer, the heart of the summer here. And uh, what are you working on? I always think of projects I can do over the summer, like books I want to read or art I want to create. So I've got a stack of books that I'm working my way through. Um, what are you working on over the summer? I'd love to know about it. Please post, you know, books that you're reading. Hashtag Firecracker Ignite. We've got some great, inspiring books and movies and podcasts for you to listen to through that hashtag. Uh, we've also got some amazing things coming up. For those of you in LA, we have the script department that's starting in September. And that's going to be an opportunity for you if you're writing a script and you want to hear it out loud, you can submit it to the script department and uh, we'll have it read in front of a, an audience and in front of some network folks that we're going to gather and get some feedback on the spot. So that's kind of exciting. We're also, it's going to be in LA, but it's going to be streamed. So if you are in Toronto or England, New York, wherever you are, you can have a listen to this and be part of the discussion, which I'm really excited about. We have also just launched our very first mini-series called The After Show. So this is an opportunity for you to meet the other core team members of the Firecracker Department and hear a little bit from them. So we have these discussions about the past episodes and uh, things that just resonated with us, and it's always a really good time. So have a listen to the first one we did. Uh, speaking about Gabrielle Rose's episode, and we'll have another one coming up talking about this episode. One day, what I would love is to have folks like you. Yeah, you. You're listening right now. I'd love you to jump in on the Firecracker Department after show discussion and join in that chat. Because really, that's what it's all about for me. We're building this community, we're supporting each other, and we're empowering each other to take creative action. So what is the action you're taking today? And it could be, here's the thing, it could be the smallest thing. Because sometimes you're just stuck creatively and it's hard to get out of that rut. But it could be just making an appointment for a coffee with a friend and starting a discussion about a project. It could be opening a journal and writing the first line of a blog, the first line of a short story. It's anything small. It could be buying pencils to create that sketch that you've thought about for a while. Whatever it is, take one step today and then let me know how it goes. Hashtag firecracker first step. Because really, that's what it's all about. First steps. I'm so excited to bring to you this episode. Oh my gosh. When I first started firecracker department, 
I started because I wanted to speak with inspiring and exciting and dynamic women in our industry. And this gal was on the top of my list, Mary Walsh. You'll know Mary Walsh from, oh man, what hasn't she done? This hour has 22 minutes. She wrote, created, starred in that. Hatching and Dispatching, she just won the Earl Grey Award. And I was lucky enough to sit down with her during the Canadian Screen Awards and have an intimate one-on-one -on -one discussion with her in front of a live audience. Oh man, this gal has stories to tell. Uh, it was so fantastic to have, have time with her. Big thanks to the Academy for setting this all up, especially Melanie Waddell, who is such a force and such a supporter of women in our community. She's just amazing. She was the brains behind this whole event, and I'm so grateful to her uh, for including us, the Firecrack Department. What a treat. Mary Walsh is somebody that I've known since I started acting, since I've started acting, and then even further when I started doing sketch and improv and character work, because she does such amazing characters. Go to any sketch in This Hour Has 22 Minutes, and you'll see her doing such detailed and interesting and nuanced characters. She really just broke the mold for me for what female sketch comedians could do because her characters were anything. World's your oyster. And I loved that. So when I went to Second City and did sketch, I absolutely used her as inspiration because it made me think you can get characters from anywhere. You know, you can get characters from watching your mom or dad and copying what they do. Uh, you could get characters from watching, oh, people watching, gosh, my favorite thing in the world. Just go to the airport, people watch for an hour, and you'll come up with 10 new characters. She was such an integral part of opening my brain to that world, and uh, uh, I know I'm not alone. I know that she really inspired a lot of people in that capacity, too. She's also one of the most driven people I know. She's never resting. I mean, she's been in the industry for a while, for for a while and she hasn't stopped she hasn't stopped thinking what's the next creative project I want to do what's the next thing I want to speak about and she's just she's just a dynamo and I feel so lucky to have had time talking with her oh the traffic's starting it's getting to be that time of the morning when all the traffic starts and my recording studio gets a little bit noisier so let's get to it here is my amazing talk with the fabulous Mary Walsh Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hello. Oh, there she is. Go back. Get back here. No, no. Come on. Hey, let's bring you Mary Walsh, everybody. Come on. I don't want to. I don't want to hide you from. I want you to come out. I want them to enjoy you for as long as possible. So join me as I introduce you. Now, for those of you who don't know who I'm sitting next to, I don't know where you've been for the last four years. But this is one of my favorite. Canada became 200. a country. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, is thank that working? you. Thank you for all the things you did to make Canada uh, a country. I built but, that railroad. Is that right? That was That was you. hard. That was hard. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. We but took you'll advantage know of a Walsh. lot of people. We drove a lot of people off their land. But we did it. But you did it. God damn it, we did it. It's called drive and perseverance and a little bit of comedy. <laughs> you'll know Mary Walsh from things like This Hour Has 22 Minutes, Codco, Hatching and Dispatching. She also got the award for uh, the Order of Canada. And now she is going to, you've been nominated for Hatching, Dispatching and for Little Dog. 
uh, tomorrow night at the I CSAs. lost already for Little Dog. So the person who always wins it. that award, Emily Hampshire. And she deserves it. I think she's fantastic. I think you're pretty if, fantastic, If I couldn't too. get it, I was just as happy that she got it. That's kind of you, but you're also Thank you. fabulous. <laughs> and also, uh, you are going to... You have a for sure win, which is the um, Earl of... <laughs> The Earl say. of Grey. Earl of Grey. Earl of Grey. A lifetime supply of tea with bergamot. <laughs> Which is more than some awards come with. Yes. So, yes. That's <laughs> so a lot of people would look at your career and think um, f funny and lazy, I would think. Lazy because you haven't been uh, overly active. How no, are you you're hustling? Right. You're hustling, you're hustling. Like you're still, you're one of the people that I look to when I need inspiration for uh, a dips in my hustle. Because it seems like from Codco, which is 86, you're still, you're still making jokes. And, then, and when you're not making jokes, they find you, right? So. <laughs> no, they never find me. They never come looking, I, as far as I know. So you have to keep going out. But uh, embarrassingly enough, you know, uh, now that I'm an older woman, today I was at rehearsal, and I saw um, Catherine O'Hara and... Uh, you know, Eugene he was in Levy. the pie, the thing where Buddy, you know, stuck his dick in the pie. Ameri you Eugene know, uh, Levy. Eugene Levy, thank you, thank you. Uh, That's God. fantastic. Eugene Levy, who I don't know very well, but <laughs> I have met him. In fact, Mark McKinney and I, years and years and hundreds of years ago, gave them the Earl Grey Award, uh, the uh, SCTV. Yes. Uh, but anyway, um, today, I said, you know, oh, hi, it's my favorite show. I love Schitt's Creek. I really do. Even though the name, I think, is really bad. But anyway, but the, the show is great. And uh, I said, I love Schitt's Creek. I'm really disappointed that it's going off the air. And I've never been on it. I really want to be on it. And it was like, I thought, oh, I've really overstepped a boundary because I don't really know him very well or anything. And I was trying to, you know, put it off as like a joke, like a well-intentioned, and I'm just saying I want to be on it because I love the show so much. But I think it must have been the other, the, my eyes must have betrayed me, the, the greed. Uh, but anyway, like he kind of, you know, you know that kind of way that people go, and they kind of move a little bit, their head back away from you. And uh, so I thought, yeah, because I never think of myself as a hustler, really. I just... Um, but you're bold. Like, I feel like that action that you just did, a lot of people do because they're like, is she Mary? Is she Mark? Like, am I going to deal with somebody oh, right. that's actually going to get at I me? I always have a plastic sword when Good I'm to Mark. know. Uh, that's a big giveaway. <laughs> and a felt suit on with gold glue around okay. my breasts. That's so, a great giveaway, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> if I don't have that on, I'm not Mark. So if this, this is the, the day that you're living in right now with these awards and these shows that you've done. Is this the vision that you had for your, for your future as a performer? Yeah, you know, the people, audience thought, mm. no, 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 like people are always talking about vision and, uh, you know, uh, purpose in life and all those things. And I was on some show the other day and I went, you know, that's the only time I really didn't like Oprah when she was saying, you know, she had a purpose and stuff like that. And then it hit me that there I am going on about Oprah, who's got about 10 billion dollars and a school in Africa and saying, you know, uh, that that was, you know, she was being big headed and a bit of had her head stuck up her arse uh, because I don't have that. And then I thought, yeah, and or neither do I have $10 billion nor a school in Africa. But um, so I don't know. I don't know if I have that. That isn't a thing I have, that kind of vision of where I want to be. I know people are always going, what's your five-year plan and stuff like that. Did you I ever, have never you had ever a five-year strategy? Plan. No. Even I when once you were... said I wanted to meet a tall guy <laughs> who, who, you know, liked books. And then... <laughs> 
I wrote that down on New Year's Eve, and then I met my husband, which is a mixed blessing, really. And he was tall, and he teaches English, you know, so... But, so, you know, careful what you wish married. for. Yeah. But so when you were living with your aunt and uncle, did you, and you had a vision that you wanted to perform... No, I had a vision that I wanted to do something. I didn't know what <laughs> so you that shot something. real high. Just something. Just something. Yeah. Something. You know what I mean? I wanted to do something. Yeah. I wanted to be good at something. I had a lot of blind ambition for something. But like, uh, where where were your thoughts going? Like when you thought, oh, the things that I would like to do. What, what kind of well, hobbies? I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. And Check. Uh, you, you know, I wanted of... to solve mysteries. Though I really was bad at that too. You know, like because of Trixie Belden and, and uh, Donna, Donna, whatever oh, that we got those Trixie books were. But, um, okay. and, 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 you know, I don't know. I just wanted to, I, Christ, I don't know what I wanted to be, but I wanted to be something. I knew I had, I had vaunting ambition and very little sense of what was it. You, why would I think I wanted to be a comedian? We didn't have any. You know what I mean? There but you was, must I wasn't going to be Wayne and Schuster, they were two guys. Uh, right, so know, who were your role models then? Well, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, of course, I was lucky that, you know, Mary Tyler Moore. I wanted to be Mary Tyler Moore. Okay. Yes, that's what I wanted to a be. A journalist, and comedian, TV star. I wanted to have a best star. friend, Rhoda. Gotcha. I wanted the whole life. I wanted that apartment. I wanted Lou to be my boss. And, uh, you know, the whole thing. That's, that's it. And, of course, when Mary Tyler Moore was on, there was also Carol Burnett and Lucy. And okay. You know what I mean? There were a lot so of... So you had some role models? Yeah. Well, yeah. people are always saying now, isn't it amazing, all these female comedians? But when I was growing up, the place was rotted out with female comedians, right, on TV, but not in Newfoundland. You know, everybody's funny in Newfoundland, but there weren't any... There was nobody being funny for a living, you know, people sang and people were funny and people danced, but nobody did it for a living. That's what you did on the side, right? So the idea that that could be your career was absolutely kind of outside the realm of possibilities, And right? I've heard you describe your upbringing, which is you lived with your aunt and uncle and your parents were downstairs partying. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair description? Yes, yes, that is it. It My doesn't sound like the ideal place for comedy. No, well, it is actually because you're always looking at other people far right. away, the people you'd like to be with, and then you're also with the people who you don't want to be with, even though you love them very much because they're, you know, quite nice, and the crowd that you want to be with aren't that nice actually. Now, I heard nobody's here from my family. No, no, we, no, we asked them here. to leave. Okay, yeah. but uh, but yeah, that was weird, and uh, well, you know. I, <sighs> But like Newfoundlanders are funny. That's all there yeah. is to it. They so have you a funny get your comedy from, from there. But what was the moment that you went, oh, I can make a living with jokes? I, I did not until like I was about 27 and we were on the road with Codco, like on a, a na an international tour going to England and Philadelphia. And I thought, oh, oh, I seem to be doing this. I guess I'll never get to live my dream of being a journalist now. And, uh, <laughs> and, but the great thing is, then I came up with this hour is 22 minutes. I created this up where I got to play my dream job on TV. But I never did get that apartment. But I do have an M in my kitchen like Mary had. In. Oh, okay. That's, that's enough. Yeah. So yeah. when you were, <laughs> so you were living there and you were doing your Codco and then you developed this hour, was there like any break of that? Were you just like laser vision of this is what I want to do when you had the idea for this hour? Oh, you know, I had the idea that I, we, we worked at the LSPU Hall, uh, which is a theater in St. John's, an artist run space. And I had the idea first that I wanted to do a Friday night show uh, like 
um, you know, that was the week that was. Does anybody remember that? That was a British show, and they had a, a woman who sang, a folk singer who sang the news of the week, and they did sketches, and they did uh, news. So I wanted to do that kind of thing on Friday night at the hall for St. John's. And then I was having a meeting with Michael Dunham in Halifax, and I said, you know, I'd really like to do, I think that's what we should do, like a, you know, a, a news kind of parody. And he said, that's exactly what uh, Ivan Fatan is looking for. And in fact, Ivan Fatan hired us and also hired uh, Royal Canadian Air Force, as the CBC often does, puts out two just in case, one from, one from far away and one from Toronto, because that was like the same with Codco and Kids in the Hall, right? Thanks. Like there's always two of the same basic thing. <laughs> Did you feel like you were in competition with the kids in the hall? We were definitely in competition <laughs> with the kids in the hall. Anyway, but we don't had mix real words. girls, and we all necked with them. All of us necked with all of them one night at a Gemini party, <laughs> where we were a lot younger then and drinking a lot heavier. So then, as you saw the fame and the recognition for your work in this hour, what did you feel like? Did you think, oh, I'm going to use this momentum to get to the next thing, or were you like, I'm just going to ride it? Oh, I, I see. Uh, no, I really. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I remember, the, 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 this is a, a, a character defect of mine. I remember when we started, I remember Rick Mercer did the, uh, we got a national TV show, the dance of we got a national TV show as he danced around the studio. And I remember thinking, oh my God, we got a national TV show. Oh no. So oh much no. work ahead of you. What are we going to do now? And it really was daunting to not have a show on Monday and then Friday night do a live show. So for about nine years, we were all eating our livers every week, you know. I mean, we were there when the Tainted Blood scandal was on. It's very hard to do a half-hour comedy when the only news is the Tainted Blood scandal. Uh, but um, Yeah, where did you find funny in the oh, Tainted Blood? Oh, I can't remember now, but I do remember thinking, holy moly. <laughs> but um, um, I didn't... Um, I don't know. I... I I, yeah. Like you never had a strategy, right? So you were just sort of taking things... No, I things. didn't have a strategy. And so did that... So I'm not suggesting that that's a good way to go. <laughs> it seems like it served you, though. It served your purposes. Like, did you ever come to a point where you're like, well, the, the, the lake has run dry. I better find something else to do? It feels like you've just hopscotched from success to success. Well, I'll tell you... When about year 12 on this hour is 22 minutes, I just run out of ideas. I would just like do Dakey Dunn or Marg or Connie Bloor or the Mrs. E's, and I had no new characters and I couldn't think of a new character and everything. And, and of course, by year 12, the old characters were working, so that's what you'd put on. And there was the humilitorium on Wednesday when all the when we'd all read our stuff for the producers. And you know, there would be like, it's just oh like, God. you know, no laughter. You're just like pausing that. like that. So I sort of stopped doing that and I just go, I'm going to do a dakey. I'll write it on Thursday. I'll do it Friday night. And, uh, and, and I realized that I wasn't really going anywhere. And so I started to think that I could make a big leap, uh, you know, um, you know, to whom much is given, uh, much is required, right? I didn't know that that wasn't actually a biblical quote, uh, but a quote that Aunt May had said to Spider-Man one time in the early comics. Uh, but uh, so anyway, basing my life on a Spider-Man quote, I decided... <laughs> To uh, direct, a f you know, I decided to direct a film. I mean, that never happens, but I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I had been trying to sell this script for a long time. Uh, and finally, Cinemaginaire in, in uh, Montreal picked it up. And then we got uh, CBC to give us... Um, no, there was a contest 
there was a contest to see who could win the funniest sketch, uh, no, uh, uh, sitcom. Colin Mockery did w one with Deb, and we, uh, we did Hatching Matching, and then there was someone else. I forget who the other person was. Mm -hmm, too bad. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Too bad for them. But anyway, we won. And, uh, and so then we went on to produce uh, Hatching. Now, Young Triffy's Been Made Away With was a dark comedy that my husband, who's from Mississauga, uh, said to me when we were, he was, I was rewriting it, and he was helping me put it in the computer. And he was going, Mary, um, you know, the show opens with a, a little simple girl uh, dead on the beach with uh, 13 stab wounds in her back. Um, and then the comedy just goes on from there. Do, do, you, do you think, you know, that this is going to appeal? I went, oh, yeah, you know. So it was a dark comedy, uh, for sure. <laughs> you don't say it. Uh, there was child molestation, you know, the regular dark comedy stuff. Uh, set in 1948 in, in Newfoundland. Uh, Andrew Martin was in it, and, uh, oh, I forget, Colin Mockery, not Colin Mockery again, yeah. And Fred, Fred, what is Fred's name from Corner Gas? Oh, um... You, you know, Iwanayuk. Do you remember Fred Iwanayuk? I can see the word. I he just was the kind of simple guy in Corner Gas. He's fantastic. What? He's a fantastic actor. Yeah, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Anyway, fantastic cast, fantastic dark script, and the only movie ever to not get any stars at the, on the Globe and Mail review. So no, no stars. No matter what, you'd get a half a star, but we got no stars from the Globe and Mail. But now, none, none. What did that do to you? Like, did that oh, level I you? I was destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. Was it, like, because I feel like you are unflappable. Oh my God, are you kidding? I haven't directed anything since. Uh, that was like 100 years ago. And then uh, Hatching only lasted for seven shows. So I really got thrown back. So you know what do you what do mean? to get back on your feet after something like that? Like we're all dealing with things that kind of knock yeah. us off our game. Yeah. And well, how do you, you do know, that? There was years of bitterness, recrimination, and ripping of clothes and that sort of thing, pouring <laughs> That's ashes your, on my head. Right. That's your Catholic that upbringing. That kind of thing, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, I finally got over it as I realized that uh, nothing, even though I didn't, I, didn't, I was just, I could not get arrested. It's like Sheila, uh, Sheila Rogers said, <laughs> when the CBC decided to close in and they had all that security put in, and they used to have cutouts of people, you know, there, and they wouldn't let her in because she didn't have her badge, and she went over and she got the cutout of her, and she brought it over to the security buddy. She said, look, it's me. He said, no, not without the... <laughs> she couldn't get in. But anyway, I, that, I couldn't get in either. So did you uh, get back to work? Did you start writing again? I, I wrote a one-woman show, and I went on the road called Dancing with Rage. <laughs> what was it about? Uh, but uh, uh, there was no dancing, no dancing yeah. at all, <laughs> though I had meant to dance. Uh, but, uh, and I wrote a novel, but and kind of I wrote endless amounts of... That uh, takes so much confidence. That takes like so much get up and go and to be knocked off your game after something like that and yeah. going like I'm going to have to find it how yeah. who who were your cheerleaders gosh <laughs> well you know uh People would just keep saying, oh, for God's sake, shut up. Okay, that's you know, not really what uh, I mean by as, a cheerleader. As I would whine on. It's not you exactly. know, I really ran out of people to complain to because yeah. really, when you look at it, there was really nothing to complain about. I remember my friend Sherry White, who's now working with Shonda Rhimes, saying to me, look, you know, when you were young, everything, all the doors just opened for you. Now they're closed. Shut up. You're just going through what everybody else already went through. 
Okay. Well, what do you so find out? You know, she was one of my big cheerleaders. And uh, <laughs> I think we have different definitions of cheerleading. What? Maybe We have different definitions. Different, no, I don't think that, uh, you know, um, wow, I, that's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I did try to do some stuff online by myself as Marg when Mr. Harper was wearing that fuzzy blue sweater and I burnt him in effigy on the, on the, uh, on the beach and uh, did a big Marg thing. And uh, boy, and, and I guess we had been protected from it and I guess it was a different time. But, uh, you know, people were writing and saying the most horrible things, well, calling me a big fat old H, as my niece would say, H, H. W. I think it's W. But she go, no, what starts with W? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, and you think, wow, people think that I'm a W uh, just because I'm not a conservative, isn't that? But anyway, terrible things and threatening things and things against my son and everything. So I quickly backed away from that, too. I got very frightened, and I remember years later reading about people who had been online and got frightened by that kind of trolling. I thought, wow, that happened to me, too. And I just, uh, but my son, who was younger then, he used to say, uh, first the good things would come in, and he'd say, yeah, the, uh, the conservatives, they're not up yet. Wait a minute, you know, they'll, they'll get on the go, right? Um, the big conservative hate machine hasn't started to grind out the... Um, the stuff yet. I have a feeling that people don't think that you're a pushover at all. So that something like that get, being called a big HW, <laughs> that that's like not something that would kick you in the butt. But like, and seeing what you do, like having that kind of um, Marge Devlante as uh, somebody who talks to Harper but and somebody is, talks to. Uh, you know, she is just a character. And that's why I've always been amazed and, uh, and somewhat stupefied by people who do stand up because it's hard to think that somebody cares what you think. Whereas I always thought, I always played old ladies because First of all, there's the terrible thing about being a young woman and always wondering, you know, how your tits are doing and if your bum is looking good in that. And, oh, is that guy looking at me? And, you know, I guess it's a biological thing because if, if we weren't stupid when we were young, there'd be nothing on the earth but cockroaches and snakes. But anyway, so I always played old ladies because it was so freeing because you could say what you want and look, you know what I mean? And, it was, and you felt so much more comfortable which I now do feel, as an old lady, so much more comfortable with myself than I did then. And Gloria Steinem said that women get more radical with age because we lose power uh, with age, and men get more conservative because they gain power, and all we have to do uh, to see that is just look at the uh, you know, old bags of rancid sin that are sitting in the Senate down in the United States. But, uh, but we lose power because we stop being the object of somebody else's desire, which is what we've been all along, but we finally get to become the subject of our own lives. It is so fantastic. Really, seriously. Did you, you know? did you fight that tr transition at all? Like when you found yourself becoming more powerful because of your age and less powerful because of being desired? Well, I have been playing an old woman since I was 18, so I haven't noticed the transition. No, did you not? <laughs> did you not notice anything? Like, well, I feel you know, like you're such a vivacious and gorgeous woman no matter what age you've been, but it is something that you recognize changes for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, you know, for me, giving up drinking when I was 40 was the first big change for me uh, because I just drank to become a totally different person, you know, like, and, and I just wanted to always not be me and to be someone else. And so stopping that was a big step, right? So that was a major, major step. So becoming 60 and kind of realizing that I'd been practicing being 60 for, 
you know, 40 years, uh, was good. You know, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm really good at this. <laughs> I got this down. Uh, but, you know, um, yeah, no, I don't think, um, you know, I never thought that I was allowed to have a vision or to ask for anything that I wanted. Uh, for fears, I don't really know what the end result would be, that somebody would humiliate you by saying, and I know it's for women, it's not just me, I'm not alone with this, that it's hard for us to ask for what we want, and it still is, but I, you know, uh, in my own relationship, with a very close relationship, and then I was, we were living together, and I was very unhappy, and I had to say, look, I'm not happy, but the thoughts of saying I'm not happy and the thoughts that I might get what I wanted, I just filled me with such terror because I thought, what kind of price am I going to have to pay for this? And then, so I got the, what I wanted, and then I've been ducking, looking behind me all the time, waiting for the anvil to fall. But, so it's, it's an interesting thing because sometimes being a little older and there's not that much time left, you know, even if something, if I do have to pay for it, I won't have to pay for it that long. Not a whole lifetime. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I've Are you talking practicing. cable bills and what? things? Are you talking cable? Like things that you don't have to pay for for very yeah. long? Like, <laughs> I might as well. Yeah. Like, do you, sen do you have a sense of freedom in your creativity as well as you age? You know, I wish I was more, um, you know, uh, more like people who give those kinds of talks, who people always hope that they're going to, you know, like, I wish I was more like Oprah, really. But uh, I don't feel more free in my creativity uh, than I felt before. I just feel less, uh, I'm just, I, I would say I'm the same creative, but I don't feel as afraid to put it forward. Mm. It's all there, and I feel all right about it, and I, you know, and, I, and when people are unkind to me, I don't just get mad at them for 40 years and never say anything. I now say, I think you're being really mean to me, and it's really hurting my feelings, which just happened two weeks ago, and remarkably, it stops me from building uh, you know, putting another brick in my massive castle of hurts. You know what I mean? I, I'm not interested in my castle of hurts anymore. I don't want to stick any more bricks in. So I would just like to, you know, be open, uh, both creatively and in my life, right? Like go, you know. Uh, so, so other people's ideas always seem like they're better. And then in the end, you always kick yourself thousand times over that you didn't go with what you knew you know so I'm just trying now for the last little bit I've got left to you know really listen to myself and you know go with my instincts and sometimes it doesn't work uh, at all because I guess my instincts sometimes aren't right but I'm happy about that you know have yeah. you ever been disappointed in yourself for not following through with instincts endlessly endlessly you know but uh when's the last time that you were like oh, I should have done that thing Oh, um, I'm not talking well, like buying a pair of shoes that you regret not buying, no. but like a creative. We or we like did. A project. Um, we were doing Little Dog, right? So there's me and Andy Jones. We're both from uh, Codco, Codco days, and Andy's playing Joel Thomas Hines's father, and I'm playing uh, a kind of um, gender fluid thug, and uh, and I'm really mean, right? And I'm Tucker, and I'm really and I'm always giving them the gears and stuff, and I'm giving everybody the gears, and I'm pushing people. And I, I don't really know how to act push. I just 
have to push. And, uh, and so I would go home from work every day, and i just feel so bad, and i think everybody hated me because I was so horrible as the character. And then I phoned Andy, and Andy and I were crying on the, on the phone, too. We were 130 years old between us. And then uh, we got Joel on the phone, and then he was crying, you know what I mean? And uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a funny old life being an actor, even if you're a comedian, because you're kind of opening yourself up wide all the time and sometimes you just feel like oh nobody wants me to be this open you know people would rather I just be closed up do line line joke line line joke you know what I mean do, do you I know totally what I mean? know what you mean yeah. it's sort of like serving who's who are you serving though right that's what you have to question who are you yeah. serving your own creative needs or are you serving the people around you well, because it's a collective almost always, isn't it, in our job? You know, you have to try to find a way to serve both, right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I was really mad at myself for, because I knew I was doing, like it was one of the few times in my life, oh my God, I'm dying of the flu, by the way. I, I can't reach you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> one of the this few times good, in though, my you're life, sweating I was it out. leaning out the truck, talking to the character, and I really felt like, you know, I really have got this down. And that was the day that I went home in tears because I was really thuggish and mean, right? And I felt it entirely, and I was completely there. And, uh, and, and then I just wished that I had just let that go and not spent those hours weeping about, you know, and now they're not going to like me, and oh, my God. And you know what I mean? It, it does get better, honestly. It sounds like it doesn't get better at all, but it really does. It really does. <laughs> Do you feel like your perception of yourself has changed from when you were first starting in 86 with Codco to what you see yourself as now? Well, actually, we started in 73 with Codco because we were a theater Live. touring company first. And my perception of myself has changed, yes, for sure. Uh, because, you know, that Gladwell guy or Gladstone, I can't remember his name, who said, if you do things 10,000 times, you know. So doing this hour is 22 minutes was a great exercise for me because you had to do it every week, right? Whereas Codco, we would do a bunch of stuff and then, and then you could look at it all and weep and weep and weep and, and go, oh my God, if only I'd done. But on this hour is 22 minutes, there's just no time for that. You've got to be on to writing the next thing. So it was a great... Uh, exercise in that way and and you uh, and you just move on right that thing of letting go and moving on and uh, you have such resilience you have such resilience in your career yeah I, it's amazing I just question like I wonder where it came from if you're just like a self-made woman who is resilient because of her upbringing or but just choices that you've made yeah I I don't know I I, I don't really think of myself as resilient I think of myself as you know, pig-headed, my whole family. My brother just had his leg taken off because the doctor told him 10 years ago that he had to get up out of the chair, stop smoking, stop drinking, and start walking. Fuck it. And, uh, and so then they just took his leg off below the knee. Oh, he knew it was going to happen. You know what I mean? That's the way we are. There's like, you know, pig-headed, pig-headed. Like, so you go down, you go, I'm not staying down here. What? You know, people go, I remember saying to Michael Donovan one day, our family motto, and I don't know what it would be in Latin, would be, I'm not backing down tonight, right? And Michael Donovan said to me, quite seriously, he said, many days, of course, many nights, it would behoove us to back down. Yeah. And I had never even thought about it. It had never even occurred to me that that was, uh, you know, you know the way you buy into your family myths and you just live them out. You never even think there's another. I remember my son, when he was 13, uh, he was close, he, he, 
pushed me out of his room. And I didn't know what to do. I was completely... And so I channeled mom, and I kicked his door down. And the therapist said to me the next day, why didn't you just get out of his room and then say, we'll talk about it tomorrow? And I went, because that never even occurred to me. It never even occurred to me. The thought did not go through my mind. You know what I mean? I you know, well, I, I do now. And so yeah. you just sort of buy into all this bullshit, and then little by little, as you get older, you go, "Oh, you don't have to live like." Oh, I see. <laughs> you know, you could back down. I, I, I. That served you though. Like I look at the interviews you've done, like watching the clips of you know, with Harper and Katien and uh, Ford, and I just think, "Hey, it makes me so nervous to think about doing those bamboozling." Yeah. And you just pushed on. You just, no, I'm no, not no, backing no. down. It's because I went to the nuns and we were fed a full diet of shame and humiliation <laughs> and sin. And so I would be there in, the, in, in one of the scrums and everybody else would have on the, you know, their Burberry coat and their, uh, you know, uh, Alfredo jacket and their, and their beautiful pigskin thing and with their, you know, CTV and CBC. And I'd be there in that pathetic, um, you know, um, felt costume with the gold glue and the plastic sword. And I would start to feel worse and worse and worse as the scrum went on, you know, as uh, Norm MacDonald and all those, you know, you know, very... Uh, as they went on. But then I would just feel so ashamed and humiliated that I'd just go shag it. I might as well go and do it. You know what I mean? Well, no, it was like no, I'd go I don't. Down like I, so that far. would make me throw up in my mouth. Like, I, <laughs> I can't imagine. Well, you know, that after all the, you know, there's not, what else are you going to do? You can't... Uh, Did you get, like, adrenaline from it that you were then addicted to? So that you're like, I gotta I get in. I definitely am addicted to adrenaline, adrenaline for sure. Because there's, you only get the one shot, right? And so you really have to do it. And I notice I'm not as good as it at edit as I was. Like, uh, I noticed my Andrew Shear one, I was all fumbly bumbly in it. And I thought, wow, I never used to do that. Because I would do it so often in my mind, and I never let anybody speak. That was my, that was my big key. Like, I'd just cover up the mouth. i go, Prime Minister, no, no, Prime Minister, oh. you wore out, you got your jaws wore out talking. And yeah, let me talk. And, um, but I, I did notice, and maybe my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm older, I guess, and maybe, but I'm, I'm going to try to get it back. Uh, do you like what's your secret to getting it back then? Because it feels like every time I see you on screen or on stage doing your one woman show, it's so ballsy that I feel like you never lost it. Well, I just have to work harder. <laughs> that goes back to the hustle. Well, what? That goes back to the hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to work harder on the. Uh, you know, I thought I had the Andrew Shear thing down because it was so short, right? And we did it in minutes. They said Andrew Shear is at the CBC, and and I got on my costume and we ran over there and stuff. And I thought, oh, I got this knocked, you know, like uh, Mr. Shear, congratulations on being the next Prime Minister of Canada. And and now, thanks be to God, all the loud right wing. Uh, Lunatic, lunatic right-wing nuts are gone over to Maxime Bernier, and all you got left are the quiet right-wing lunatics, uh, racist right-wing lunatics. Uh, you only got, you got eight months left. What are you going to do to, you know, shag everything up? And I thought I knew it, and as you can see, I don't even now know it. Uh, and it was so short, I thought, oh, I got this, I got it, and I went for it, and I... I mean, I didn't screw it up entirely. It was like, you know, but uh, I was, you know, because you have to be... Smooth. Did that teach you anything about preparation for that kind of thing? Well, you know, usually I go over it about 10,000 times, and I just didn't because I, you know, we didn't have the time for one thing, yeah. and uh, I, uh, 
Usually, you know, you're outside Rob Ford's house for eight hours waiting for him to come out. I mean, so I, you got time to go over your lines. <laughs> um, so, do you have uh, like what's what's next for you? What's the thing that you haven't done that you desperately want to do? Well, here's what I want to do. I want to get another shot at hatching, matching, and dispatching because I really feel that it was on during the strike at CBC, so we never people didn't get a chance to watch it. You know what I mean? And I think it would really, I think people would really like it. That's what I really want to do. I, oh, good, yeah. good. And uh, I, I just wrote a screenplay called Come Home Year, and so I'd like to get that done. And uh, I got to do a second book because I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to be a novelist because books did save my life because I was by myself all the time up on the fourth floor of that big tall house. And I just read all the time. And I really wanted to be one of those people, you know, one of those authors, the people who save people's lives, the people who, and I never felt I could do it. You know what I mean? I never felt I had the guts to do it. But then the when I could write a book, like on yeah. your, like your, like your thoughts or what would you write a book on right now? No, a novel, a oh, novel. Okay. So I wrote that novel called Crying for the Moon. And then now I'm working on another novel. It's not coming along so great, but, but when I did it, I thought this is it. Cause I've always wanted to be called a novelist. And now here I am, 65, people are calling me a novelist, but then it turns out everybody has one book in them, and in, to really be called an author, you have to have four or five, so it took me about 63 years to write the first one, and so, you know, I really have to get going on the second one, you know, I'm Maybe worried about the third and fourth, I really make am. Make them shorter, just make them <laughs> yeah. like pamphlets, yeah, and yeah, you'll be yeah. fine. So what, when you said like the one that you're working on right now, it's like, oh, it's not going very well. What's the thing that's stopping you right now? Is well, because I'm doing so much other work, right? And, uh, and so... Uh, so do you need to like shut the door, lock, lock away your computer and just like write, write, write for a while? What's I your know, methods? but you know that feeling about writing like you would do anything not to write, even though uh -huh. you, that's what you want yeah. to do most in the world. It's so perverse. It's what you want to do most in the world, and yet you would actually scrub the stairs, something I've never done until I was writing that book. <laughs> You'd actually get down on your hands and knees and scrub down the stairs yeah. going, oh, look at that. Those rungs should come out. Yeah. You know, the you fridge know. is never cleaner than no, when I have to like, No, exactly, exactly. Taxes yeah. get done like that. Suddenly. I've never done my no, taxes. Not, that, that, oh, that's pushing it. I that's mean, pushing somebody it. else has, though. <laughs> So what, what's, this is, a, this is a legacy. I mean, the Earl Grey Award is something for the body of work that you've done. But, like, what's the thing that you want people to remember you for? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it's coming. Uh, the thing I want people to remember me for. I thought that's what you wanted. Like, I think she's coming. Like, that's what you want to be remembered for? <laughs> no, you know That'd what be I so mean? awkward on so many different <laughs> levels. <laughs> No, I still feel like, uh, you know, the, the thing that I really want, because it's taken me so long to get to do what I really want to do, right? Which is, because you've, I thought you've been doing it since, since the early days. Like, don't you get to do it every time? It's just a different thing? No. You know, like, um, you know, in all the time, like, you know, if you are enormously insecure, then no matter what voice and, that says no or that's not, no good or something, you listen to that voice and you don't listen to your voice. So I'm on a quest to listen to my voice, so that's where I think that the best stuff is going to come out then. You know what I mean? I, but I only sense. just started, so it's going to take me a while. Uh, so I've got to live a long, long time. <laughs> Did you ever feel like you uh, were at a peak like when you're like ah I'm, I'm on a good groove with my career with my life oh yeah like I guess uh, you know that they're in 
2002, like uh, my son was about uh, 12, I think, and I was doing well at this hour's 22 minutes, and everything was going well. I'd even gotten a standing ovation one night, which, you know, filled me with like, oh no, now what am I going to have to do next week to get another one? But, uh, but then I fell in love with my husband, and then they talk about this. People do it all the time. They're perfectly happy. Like I was, I'd, I'd stopped seeking a partner thinking that that was going to fulfill my life. My son was doing really well. I was doing well. I fell in love and went, I'm going to give up all my whole life and move back and marry this guy. And that, you know, like you just, you have some happiness in your hand and you throw it away. And then two years later you go, well, I'm not, that happy now? What happened? Well, numb nuts. You know, you just you th- you know, you decided I'm just going to dismantle this little you know church of happiness I've built here and uh, and start building a new one. But you you know the good news is you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you uh, look back to your old days of like the sour and Kodko, was there something that it was a lesson you learned in those days that you still practice now? Well, you know, I think that what I learned in Codco was that there are no bad ideas. There's just bad execution. So, like, because we used to go, oh, that's not a good idea, that's not a good... But all ideas are good ideas. It, it depends on, on how you work them, right? And so whatever you're doing, you can make it work. You can just... If you do the right work on it, you can make it work, right? There are no, like, um, you know, uh, there are no bad series really. It's just uh, the way it's presented, right? And you could, like, I was watching Idris Elba, who happens to be my boyfriend, though he doesn't know it, uh, and he produced a, a comedy series. And it's not, it's not bad. He, he wrote it and produced it, and he's starring in it. He's not that funny, really, but um, about halfway through it goes completely off the rails. You know what I mean? And you think, I'm going to keep watching because Idris Elba's in it, and I'm not going to get to spend that much time with Idris Elba. So, But, you know, it goes completely off the rails, and you could see that it was a, a, a good notion. He was a DJ who had some fame and then was down in his luck, and his famous, uh, you know, uh, uh, pal uh, hired him as the, his, the nanny for the little girl. I mean... I know, yeah, uh, but but no, seriously, the it first two jump or three. Off the page. No, but what jumps off the page? Idris Elba. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah. yeah. They went. Idris Elba's in it. Let's. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think that, that that I did learn that that it, it it's the execution, and so if you. If you put the work in, you can, uh, you know. So uh, yeah. So uh, I, that's not very profound, I know. Everything you're but saying every, is actually very working profound. Working together. Here's what I noticed. Okay. Me, Rick Mercer, um, uh, Johnny Harris, uh, everybody who's gotten a, a, a national profile out of Newfoundland came out of a, 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 a sketch comedy. Uh, company. I came out of Codco. Uh, Johnny Harris came out of the Newfoundland Dance Party. Mark Critch came out of Catfood. Um, who else did I say? Rick Mercer. Rick Mercer came out of uh, Corian Wade's Playhouse. So that's what I learned. I always tell everybody in Newfoundland now: if you want to get a national career, you must first work collectively with a comedy um, company. And do you feel like that was your family when you created those sketches, like the sketch? If companies? you had a really bad family. Who were really funny? Yes, but I mean, we weren't any—we weren't any different than any other. You know, I remember talking to Mark McKinney, 
And, uh, you know, it's always hard. You know, you're young. You don't know what you're doing. You, they ha we didn't have a director when we were working first, right? And nobody was in charge. And so it was like people are always thinking, oh, so it's a collective. That's fantastic. Which, you know, it, it, it gets the job done. It's just very hurtful sometimes, you yeah. know? Which, it's hurtful the other way, too, you know? Yeah. But, any, yeah. Can I go to the audience and see if there's any blinks of questions that anybody has? Um, I don't... See, and you are missing out on the question. Yes, let's go to you. you Learn from 22 minutes where it's like a constant battle every single week that is applicable to all writing, I guess. Well, that you can do it, I guess. That's the thing, isn't it? If you just stay at it. I mean, we certainly did not believe that we could do it, you know, the first year, and then we did it. And then even that didn't make us believe we could do it the second year, you know what I mean? But we just kept at it. And then well, the other thing about 22 and, uh, uh, you know, is, is it has such a fantastic team uh, in the production end and in the... Um, uh, it's just a... F you couldn't find a better crowd of people to work with. But I guess that is what you learn as you go on in your life, is that you just have to do it. If you want to do it, do it, and then it'll get done. Uh, and, 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 but I guess my, you know, I was thinking now, Doug Ford wanted to be Premier of Ontario, and he said that that's what he wanted, and he got it. Now, I would like to win an Academy Award, and so go. why can't I get that? I mean, why can't abundance come to me like that? Um, I'm an actor. You know, and if Doug Ford can be premier, like, why can't I get a freaking Academy Award? Right? Do you have any level of resentment that you don't have that kind of a claim? Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, why I can't get an Academy Award is I'm not in anything that ever ends up in, a, in the, on the Academy, you know. Like, I think that if I'd had that, you know, what you talk about vision and uh, this is my five-year plan and stuff like that, that's what people seem to do, um, to do that. And uh, I've never, never really had that. I've had a lot, like, I was going to say that the most fun I ever had was doing Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching and on set. And, and I've had a lot of fun definitely and uh you know and i've enjoyed the people i've worked with and i've loved them even though uh, you know we've been um it's been difficult at times uh but there uh, we had a codco reunion 2 weeks ago in st mary's and uh the academics at st mary's were treating us seriously and it occurred to us that we had worked so hard and so serious Lee, and there was so much tears and recrimination and bad feeling and ill will and heartbreak wrapped up in all that, as well as the fun, that it was just so nice that somebody was taking it as seriously as we had taken it, right? Yeah. How did you get through those, those heartbreak moments? Drinking for me. Okay. Uh, I don't know what other people did, but I drank my way through them. So then when you stopped <laughs> not drinking... Not a good idea. Not, again, I'm not suggesting it as a way... No, this isn't a public service announcement no, to no. drink. Yeah. <laughs> But when you stop drinking, you still have creative differences. So how do you get through that? I well, find that really Well, I stopped drinking when we broke up in 92. Right. But so, hatch, like, did you not have creative differences? I, we hatching, did on This Hour is 22 Minutes, for sure, for and then sure. And like, even the projects that you're working on right now, like, even, even while you're writing, either your one-woman show, you have yeah. a director that says, I don't like the choices you're making, and you have, you butt heads. Yeah, How do yeah, you get yeah. through that? Uh, you know, um, I, lately have, um, you know, because I've gotten really grown up all of a sudden, I had a big growth spurt, uh, where I, uh, I, I'm not um, mad that the other person uh, feels differently than I do about something. And even if they fight kind of 
dirty about it, which people do sometimes, I kind of just hold on to, you know, and I think, you know, maybe I won't get this in, in. It used to feel to me, if I didn't get things to go the way I needed them to go, then I was going to die. I didn't think I was just going to be hurt or anything. I would feel I was going to die. It had to go my way. So you can imagine there was a lot of unhappiness uh, <laughs> every day. Uh, but I don't feel that way anymore. You know what I mean? So uh, creative differences, you know, like uh, I just worked with Warren on a movie, right? And, uh, you know, we would have creative differences, and I didn't feel... Like, my life was threatened at all. Like, I think, and, and we worked with Paul Pope, who was really great, and he would be, uh, you know, he wouldn't do what you'd want him to do. And then, but you'd think, well, you know, Warren Sonoda is a good guy. He's probably doing something good. Paul Pope, you know, Mary Sexton, you know, these are all good people. You know, maybe it's not, and so often, come on, if you get to be 66, you've been wrong so goddamn often that it's really hard to, you know, get, insist and lie down on the floor and kick out, uh, which we used to do. Uh, but that was a long, long, long time ago. I can hardly even remember it myself now. Uh, but, uh, you know, so it's hard to get that behind it now. Though, you know, with writing a novel, the beauty of it was, you know, you could be like Dickens. You could go down whatever road you wanted to go down, right? Now, the people at HarperCollins would sometimes go, you know, um, but still, it was just a much freer form, like, uh, you know, um, oh my God, uh, screenplays. Oh, it's like being with the Nazis writing a screenplay. You know, there's a really rigid form that you have to follow, right? And, uh, and you know, but you seem to have a brain for that kind of thing. You seem to cross the line of like political and and social satire. So you seem like you can do the narrative. You can do the technical stuff. I'm just giving you a compliment. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Naomi. I really well, enjoyed that. I didn't understand it at all, but I'm happy to have it. <laughs> well, where did you? I guess the follow-up to the compliment is where did you get that from? Like you are, you have the ability of of just having so much political information in your head and also structuring plays and books. So where did you find that all? Well, you know, all the books I read. And, uh, you know, and I've always been interested in politics. And again, I have to thank Newfoundland because it's such a small uh, province that we've always been hands-on uh, politics and, uh, and angry and uh, upset with what they're doing and, you know, getting in there. Not that we've been very effective in terms of uh, making change, but uh, we've been, you know, muttering at our TVs at home with our, <laughs> with our families. What's, uh, but, what's uh, your answer to the, the politics that are going right now? Do you get, still get angry and... and I am really upset because uh, I, I, I can't even watch... American television anymore. It's like we got, it was like eating three or four lobsters in one day. You know, like, I mean, it's just like, it's too rich. There's too much. It's too Betsy DeVos. And I mean, they're just criminals. They're carpet-bagging criminals, as far as I can tell. Uh, even when you watch, and when you watch Fox, they, even Fox is saying it, but uh, not as much, of course. But uh, with us, you know, I am happier to have the liberals in there because they call themselves liberal. And so it, they're, they're not wanting to go back and conserve something we had 50 years ago. Now, 50 or 60 years ago, my mother worked for no money. She went in service to a family 
uh, and she worked for just room and board because they were starving. So I don't want, so the, the type of person I am, I don't want to go back. I want to go forward. I want to go with the liberal, you know what I mean? I, I want that liberal agenda where we all get a chance to not be going in service to uh, Mae Walsh and their family across the street. I actually worked at the arcade in, uh, in uh, <laughs> she was head of, uh, you know, um, uh, fabrics, you know, and she ran the fabrics. And every single time she saw me, she said, your mother was our maid. And I went, really? I had no idea. Because you didn't just tell me that 10 days ago. And uh, <laughs> your mother and father got married out of our house because they had nowhere else. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Walsh. Thank you again. Uh, so, you know, I'm not interested in going back. We weren't the crowd that were doing really well. I guess, uh, you know, all the crowd... The 2% have done well, I guess, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they didn't really feel like sharing. And they've been relentless since the New Deal. They haven't stopped having, you know, forums and, you know, anti-union things, and, and they've just been relentless, and they're winning, and I don't know what's going to have to happen. Anyway, that's how I feel. <laughs> Could any other questions? Yeah. Oh, we got a microphone coming your way. Go ahead. Okay, so... You've done a lot of great work over the years. That's why you're receiving the great Earl Grey Tea Award. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, out of all of that work, like, if you had to choose maybe, like, your top two or three or, like, top one, if you can choose one, your favorite thing that you've done, what would you say? Well, I'd have to say Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching was my favorite. Like, it, was, it just worked so well for me. Uh, you know, and we had, you know, Mark McKinney and Johnny Harris and Sean Majumdar and Susan Kent and Sherry White and, oh God, I can't, I, I'm probably forgetting, Joel Thomas Hines. And it was like when we came together, because we'd gone about it in a way that we used to work in theater, where we would, in the, see, in Newfoundland, there are people who run the funeral parlor, the ambulance service, and the wedding hall. They're one family, like the Hickeys. And so we went out and we interviewed them and we got stories from them. And one guy, Rick Mercer, uh, not Rick Mercer, Rick Boland, uh, he always drinks with people when he, uh, when he interviews them. So the, their stories were the best because they, they were very open. So then we took those stories and we wrote them all up and then we got the actors in and then we improvised around the stories, right? And then Ed McDonald and I wrote down all the stuff and we also, uh, we also, it, it's a lengthy process, nobody wants to do it. We also uh, taped everything and then we sat down and we took the funniest stuff from all that. And so it, first of all, we started out with real stuff and then we had brilliant actors improvise around that real stuff and create really funny situations. And then we had me and Ed write it. And then we gave it back to, you know, uh, like um, um, Sean Majumdar was playing that guy, Cyril, who he created, right? Based on a, another guy. You know what I mean? So that he was really, so there was some really, I, I don't know, I, I really felt it was a very special to me. Anyway, very special. Yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, at the back. Um, I just wondered, it sounds like you have worked really hard and you have a family, if you've figured out work-life balance and if you can just comment on that, if you know any tips. I know. Balance, Mary. Yeah. How's that going? That's not going that great, really. 
What would because you? here's what happens to me. I always think, people say you can't do this many jobs all at the same time. Ha, ha, ha. And then I end up, you know, I'm just coming out of anesthetic, having had another operation. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I think, I, I always think, oh, no, I can do it. I can do it. I know it's too many things all at the one time, but I can keep those balls all in the air. I'll be fine. Everything's fine. And uh, you can't, I can't, because I always pay physically. Uh, something terrible happens to me. I get pneumonia or something, and I'm laid up for a month. But I still can't get there because I like the work so much that when the work is there to be done, I want to do it, right? And I've got a son, and I thought, you know, and I love him so much, and he saved my life and everything. And I, you know, I'm always trying to get him <laughs> in the work. Come on in here, and then we can be together. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I haven't managed that at all, I'm afraid. So what's the thing that you want more of in your life? Uh, well, I would like to have more common sense, you know, like <laughs> to realize after time, after time, I thought you were going to be time. like meditation or like more vegetables. <laughs> more common sense. You know, after time, after time, after time, after proving to myself again and again and again and again that in fact I can't take on that many jobs and in fact I can't keep going like that and I can't be always in the air, I still foolishly go, oh, no, 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 I can do that. You know, so I just like a bit of common sense, yeah. Uh, we have time for one more question. If somebody has a burning question, this is your last chance, then I'll give it to you. My last question for you is what's advi what advice would you give your younger self? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't, I always say, People always ask me that. And I, I, my younger self would never listen to any advice anyway. <laughs> she was totally against advice. Uh, so I, I guess the you. only advice I could give her would be to listen to the odd bit of advice. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that's advice that you should be taking on now? Like, is that, I feel like the younger advice is always something I'm like, I should do that anyway. I find I, I do listen to people now. Like, I used to find it really threatening because, you know, if you only have a very tenuous hold on what you think is your message or your art or your talent, and then somebody says you should do this with it, you go, I can't do that because then it won't be mine and then it'll be... And so, but now I find, like, I'm open to advice, really, mostly. I do, I told somebody the other day... Um, Who's that Irish actor who's really wonderful? And he was in that movie. Um, That's narrowing it down a oh little bit. Oh, God. It's um, <laughs> he was in that movie, um, uh, The Seduction of Dr. Lewis. Um, does anybody know? I think there's a way to find uh, out. Oh, anyway, somebody look it up. But anyway, Don McKellar was directing it. And so I was arguing with Don McKellar. He was saying, well, this is what, how I want you to play that scene. And I was going, no, I, I'm not going to play it that way. That's the wrong way to play it. So then this Irish actor, who I, is really amazing, he was in The Guard and in Bruges and, uh, yeah, what? Yeah. Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Gleeson. So he comes Thanks, in and he checkers. goes, uh, and so he's there while I'm arguing with the director and he's going, ah, but that's what the whole thing's about, isn't it, really? I mean, you know, that everybody, the, the community comes together and everybody loves each other and that's what it's all about. And I went, no, no, it isn't. You know, like, and so uh, then I was there with the other little old lady who was listening in on conversations and then Brendan Gleeson came in and he was so open and full of love that my thing was, I was, I was helpless against him and so I had to play it that way, like the loving, open, kind way. And I realized that, uh, you know, you can't really, I, that there is a power of love and 
that it's really hard to stand up against, no matter how many times you stamp your little foot and say, I will not be doing it that way, Brian, <laughs> Don McKellar, award-winning director Don McKellar, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, it seems like all these, I mean, what a great time it's been speaking with you. We have to wrap it up, but it seems like everything that you've just spoken about has served you, and I hope you continue to let us into your comedy brain and your heart, because everything that comes out, I'm so interested and intrigued by. Oh, thank you, Naomi. Yeah. It's been wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Please. I know I talk too much. You don't. You certainly don't talk too much. I will also tell you that we have recorded this, so if you have a really unusual laugh, you can listen to this later and be like, oh, that was me. Uh, I gotta change, change it. No, you don't have to change yourself. Uh, but firecrackerdepartment.com is where you're gonna want to go and sign up for all our social media stuff. We also have a fabulous um, newsletter that comes out monthly, and it includes so much great um, thoughts from the various department members. Uh, we have a one of the department members that I'd love you to be inc included in is called the Red Point Department because we're recognizing women over 40 that have gone before us and have paved the way, but also are still fucking creating, like yeah. doing stuff, and you're such a vision of that. But 40 is really good in our business. Like Martha Henry told me, you know, the, the next 10 years are going to be you. <coughs> your best <coughs> 10 years, 40 to 50, <coughs> you can get jobs still. <coughs> Thank you. <coughs> it's 60. But <coughs> 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 we're not oh, It's going to be because everybody will be dead. Well, thank you so much. Please join in our Firecracker Department community. Thank you so much to Joe and Anna and Ingrid and Sydney who are here from the Firecracker Department team. And I really encourage you to be part of the discussion. Uh, thank you so much to Mary Walsh. Thank you so much to the Academy. And congratulations. That's Mary Walsh. I adore her. We could have talked forever. I think I say that every time, but we really could have talked forever and we only had an hour, but I'll take what I can get. I'd love to know what you thought of this interview. What things did Mary say that really resonated with you? Tell me more. Throw me an email, firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com or in the Twitter and Instagram world, it's firecrackerdepartment, D-E-P-T. Love to hear from you. And let me know what you think about our after show series as well. Those are really becoming one of my favorite things to do. While you're over in the Twitter world, go follow Mary Walsh. Mary Walsh 11 is her handle. And uh, she's always doing something. She's always got some jokes and some sort of inspiring tweet going on. So follow along. Thank you so much to my firecracker department team. Oh my gosh, I couldn't do this without them. It's been such a nutty month, and they have absolutely picked up the slack. So thank you so, so much. Big welcome to Jennifer also, who's helping with editing. Couldn't do this without her. If you're wondering about how to find out more about Firecracker Department, the script department, the after show, all the great things we have coming up. Oh, the TIFF party. We're going to have a TIFF party in September in Toronto during the Toronto International Film Festival. So you're going to want to know about that. Go on over to our website, firecrackerdepartment.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, and then you'll be the first to know. Well, maybe not the first to know, because we go through some drafts, but you'll be fast. You'll get to know real, real fast. Subscribe there, and you'll be in the know, you know? 
I just want to say also, whatever you're working on, keep going. It's not always easy being creators, but it's super rewarding. And I just want to say you're doing great. Whatever you're working on, you're doing great. Keep going. You got this. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. I'm Naomi Sneakers.